Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGet.com. That's TireGet.com. You have to buy tires from somewhere. You might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement, help support the movement. We all believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I'm your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota, for episode 108. I want to say, time's flying, episode 108. I believe it's episode 100. Oh, episode 108. Yes, that is correct, episode 108. If it's not episode 108, you guys know. We'll figure it out. But anyway, um, thank you to everybody who's here again for another episode. I appreciate it. We want to send a special thank you to the War Room Posse, the entire crew over there at War Room. The great Steve Bannon, Maureen Bannon, and Grace Chong for streaming the podcast and continuing to introduce myself and, and my ideas and Free People Radio and Please Call Me Crazy to the America First movement, the MAGA movement, the ultra MAGA movement. I would, I would uh, describe this podcast and, and our, our end of the movement as the ultra MAGA movement. So thank you to everybody over there. We appreciate it. We, we look forward to, um, Hearing your feedback, if you're here for the first time, please drop a comment and drop a like. If you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe. It all helps. Even if you hate YouTube to death, please still drop a comment, uh, drop a like, help the, help the algorithm. We're going to talk a little bit today about fighting back against, against these tyrants and, and how important it is not to concede any ground and, and not to run, not to run and hide, not to believe that you can outrun or hide from from the tyranny that we're faced with today. So thank you to everybody who's here today. I appreciate it. If you're unfamiliar with the podcast and here for the first time, you can go to freepeopleradio.com and see where you can watch and listen to the podcast, audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, video platforms, YouTube, Rumble, Band.Video. You can also, also watch the live stream on Getter. Um, on War Room's Getter page and also War Room's Rumble page, uh, so we got a lot of lot of a uh, lot of places for you to interact with the podcast. New news, just a little bit of housekeeping. Our patron platform is almost ready. I know I've been saying it for a hundred episodes now, but it was not as easy as we thought. And in 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 some ways, it was a, a good thing that we sort of took our time to build this patron platform because there's going to be a variety of things that you can select in order to interact with the podcast. We really want to build a grassroots company here at Free People Radio. So if you support Please Call Me Crazy, you'll be able to visit freepeopleradio.com, go to our donation page, and there will be a number of of patron platforms that have specific um, ways to get involved with the podcast. Locals will be our exclusive content platform, so you'll be able to go there and see exclusive content. Um, DonorBox will have a tier platform, a tier membership where you can get involved in the podcast, like become a moderator of the chat, or you can uh, send in questions. You can you can be a person who vets questions out for the podcast, being involved with the podcast, joining the 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 DonorBox um, the DonorBox tier platform is going to allow you to do that as well as one time donations. So both of those will come from DonorBox. Our Subscribestar will be a place where we. Um, drop exclusive uh, digital content, uh, digital, uh, I don't even know what they call it, digital products, uh, I don't know. 
NFTs, things of that nature, um, exclusive artwork, illustrations, things that you can take and, and, and turn into whatever you want. Some of you may like to make your own posters. Some of you like making posters in your own size. So we want to give you artwork and things like that to be able to go to be download and, and do with what you will, as well as some some um, some NFT stuff for everybody out there in that in that crowd who likes the NFT type of deals. We, we have some of that coming. Um, and then Patreon, our Patreon platform will be a very basic contribution platform. The reason why we have so many is because all of us who use these patron grassroots programs or platforms are in danger of being deplatformed. Many of my friends have already been deplatformed from Patreon a number, number of times. We don't anticipate or, or we don't, uh, we, we would like to hope that Patreon wouldn't do that to us, but you know, when Newsweek says the FBI is targeting uh, Trump supporters as extremists and domestic terrorists, you just never know. And as far as that's kept, all four of these platforms may eventually deplatform us, as well as the bank and, and the building we're in. And I mean, who else? And, you know, we, we don't know. We're living in that kind of time. But we're doing as best we can to uh, start this this company off in a direction that will be insulated from from these types of uh, attacks. Uh, so that you can continue to have the the content and we can continue to have the conversation we want. With all that being said, we're going to be short today, about an hour and 20 minutes, I believe. Uh, I got a comment yesterday. Does Royce use notes? Looks like he doesn't use any notes. I don't use any notes. There haven't been notes for 107 episodes. Now, you may be able to go back through some of those episodes and say, hey, he's saying some of the same things over and over. Well, we just so happen to be in a political era where uh, wash, Rinse, repeat is such a necessary, necessary approach to to these conversations, to these these dialogues. I mean, there are things that are of of unquantifiable importance that people just don't know, or they just refuse to to uh, put the right amount of 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 of, of uh, intellectual emphasis on. So many things, uh, and and so you know, for a person like myself, hey. You know, I could definitely grow the channel quicker by being more, um, more parrot-like, right? I could parrot the, the the typical party lines, and then we could talk about the typical party things, or or the typical uh, polarized uh, uh, topics. Sure, sure, I could do a bunch of TikToks. I could do a bunch of TikToks about transgenders. I could react to transgen- transgenders all day long, for sure. Would be easy. Would it grow the channel? Yes. Would it grow the Would it grow the the platform? Yes. Would it Would it Would it help save the country? Would it grow the dialogue? Questionable. Highly questionable. And so there's a level of sincerity and genuineness that I hope the people who have been with the platform thus far can appreciate in what we're building. And and for us. It's trying to find the sweet spot of building a dialogue that's authentic and, and helpful, that's insightful, that's, that's honorable, while also running a business. So the patron platform for, you know, we, we're sitting at about 16,000 subscribers on this channel, maybe more. We got a bunch of subscribers over there on, on Getter and Rumble as well. Um, we have a, a, a decent audience on, on Bandai Video with Alex Jones as well. We're going to ask you for a couple bucks, you know, a couple bucks that you could contribute a month. If you can, you know, if you can't, we understand certainly the government, the federal government, this Leviathan hasn't made it easy for you to donate a couple of your hard earned dollars to whatever causes that you may see fit. Certainly haven't helped any. 
inflation driven by government spending. I love how Matt Gates put that on Jason Whitlock last night. So the establishment has not made it easy for you to, to take your hard-earned dollars and spend them in a way that reflects the interest of your citizenship. We understand that. Maybe you don't have the money. If you do, we're going to create the platform for you to be able to contribute. And ultimately, we don't want to have to sell out. Number one, because if given the offer, we couldn't possibly do it. So we would have to, we would have to close up shop. Um, but with all that said, we don't need much. We don't need much. We're not trying to get rich. I'm certainly not trying to get rich. If I'm going to get rich in some business venture, it's certainly not going to be by telling you the truth about where we are in American politics. And if I were to have the, the potential to get rich by telling you where we are in American politics, there would probably probably be some, some lack of authenticity in that message right now today. Now, you look at some people who have had very successful media companies over the years, different times, different times for different people. We lived in a different time 10 years ago. We lived in a different time 20 years ago. And I have great respect for what Alex Jones was able to build over that Infowars. And you see as, as great of a company as he built and as big of a machine he was, as he was able to build, the times we live in now put you in the crosshairs of having that all destroyed anyway if you don't agree with the status quo. So um, we want to build things nice and slow. We want to be methodical. We want to be very, very, um, very cautious of the, of the conversation that we're having. Not that there's anything I'm scared to say. <laughs> That's not what we're saying. Um, but in order to have a fruitful conversation, I think things need to be talked about in a way like our founding fathers would have talked about things. Right? Our founding fathers didn't go to D.C. for a weekend and, and have a bunch of summits and, and cocktail parties and, 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 and chicken wing parties and, and figure out how to build the country. No, they were there for three months straight. And the intellectual rigor that went into our founding documents is so, so evident. And the documents are so profound. And the, and, the, and the documents are so inspirational. We would be remiss to live in this time and lower the threshold of participation and commitment when it comes to talking about the most important things in our country and around the world. So that's what we want to build here. And we're not willing to sacrifice we're not willing to sacrifice that in order to, in order to make money uh, or in order to break even. Now, our goal is to break even. Our goal is to build a grassroots movement that will allow us to break even. You can go to our site right now. Our Patreon is live. You can join the basic Patreon tier if you just want to contribute to the podcast. $5 a month, $4 a month, whatever it is. As a matter of fact, I think I may put another tier up there today and, and, and we'll start to flush those out. We're going to add tiers uh, so as soon as we get a chance to put our schedule in order with the tiers so that anything we promise in the tiers you can, you, you can rely on getting. Some of it's going to come with merchandise. Some of it's going to come with exclusive content. Some of it's going to come with uh, Q&As or, or um, access to um, um access to unscheduled, impromptu uh, live chats and, and, and live uh, town halls, so to speak, virtual town halls, organizing, right? And also, Free People of America. I have a 501c4 called Free People of America. This is an apolitical, for the most part, as apolitical as you can be. This is a, a nationalist populist 
501c4 organization that is is hopefully going to become the citizens union that will really push back on the status quo of American politics, not only during election seasons, but 365 days a year. And we're in the process right now of building that up. And we're in the process of creating a, a, a town hall structure here that's going to support the 2024 election cycle because it is an important thing. Politics isn't, isn't unimportant. It's just that, yes, we, want, we have a constitutional republic. We have representative, we have, we, we, we have representation, or at least we should have representation. That's a great question right now. But we should have representation. However, the real, the real uh, point of American citizenship, what was laid out in our Constitution, in our Bill of Rights, in, in our, our Declaration of Independence, is this sense of self-governance. And so when you see Free People of America, the organization, pop up and you see Free People Radio start to work in, 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 in some harmony with, with that citizens' union, you'll understand what we're trying to build here. And so Free People of America will also have patron platforms, and we'll, we'll let you know when those are up and running one thing at a time. The first thing is we need to have a conversation on an ongoing basis about the most important issues in our country, and we need to have it right now. In fact, we needed to have it about 65 years ago. Well, we miss the boat sometimes. It happens. It's not the first time to happen in human, human civilization. What, what can happen, what must happen, is that people who are alive right now and are, uh, are fortunate enough to have the opportunity need to drive home the importance of having those conversations. And here I am, not perfect. I'm not the perfect host. I'm not the perfect voice. I'm not the perfect messenger. I'm not perfect looking. I'm, 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 my, my, my speech isn't perfect, you see? I even stutter right there. I'm imperfect by all standards, but I'm committed. I'm committed, and you can guarantee there is not a single thing they could offer me that would ever, that would ever see me sell out the American people or the basic and fundamental ideas of America and American citizenship. There's not a thing they could offer me. There's not a thing they could threaten me with. Bring it, motherfuckers. Bring it. So, with all that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into today's episode. Um, it's not really about Matt Gates, you know. It's not really about Donald Trump. The MAGA movement, the America First nationalist populist movement is not about any one person. It's not about Steve Bannon. It's not about Royce White. It's not about Alex Jones. It's not, a, it's not about any one person. This movement at bottom is about the preponderance, the preponderance of corruption that has become commonplace all throughout our American culture. And particularly when it comes to American politics. That's what this movement is about. Now, when you get down to the fundamental idea, again, self-governance, there is a there is a a way out there for us as citizens as free people all around the world that would yield much, much better results, much better, much better standard of living in our country today. There's a way out there, but it doesn't involve a, 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 a gigantic government. That way 
could never work. It will never work. It will never work to have a government that bastardizes the meaning of citizenship, that bastardizes the meaning of community, that has a, a grandiosity, a grandiosity that, 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 that literally uh, casts a shadow over every individual citizen in the country. That way will never work. That's what this movement is about. And so there are moments when Donald Trump has been heroic. There are moments when Matt Gates has been heroic. There are moments when the great Steve Bannon has been heroic. There are moments where I certainly believe I have, I have stood for the proper, the proper things. And a lot of people have had great moments, but it's not about any one of us, and it's not about any one of those moments. I love what Matt Gates said yesterday on, on Fearless with Jason Whitlock and say, this is not myself, McCarthy, we are just passing through. It's the country that has to endure. That is a man with a profound sense of national honor. At least in theory, he understands the, the, the basic concept of it enough to articulate it to the American people. And, we, and, and I wanted to talk today about the idea of heroes and villains. Because I think we're getting, getting bogged down in the weeds right now with, with trying to classify, trying to classify people. Are they liberal? Are they conservative? Are they Christian? Are they atheists? Are they man? Are they woman? Or are they something in between? And it's interesting. It's interesting. We have to be mindful of those things. Yes. But they aren't the be-all, end-all. And we cannot allow ourselves to miss the opportunity to, to, to walk the path forward, to, to walk towards the light at the end of the tunnel because we're so caught up in these things. And I, I talk about rhinos and, and, and neocons and neoliberals and, and far-left uh, omnisexual finocchios. I do more you know, classification than anybody. But I do so by, I do so while keeping an open mind, keeping my heart and mind open to the possibility of change in everyone. Number one, because as a Christian, we should never preclude miracles. But number two, the whole, the whole idea of, of American citizenship is, is based on self-governance. But it's also based on the idea that men and women, that people's ideas can come to the public square and have persuasive power and persuasive uh, impact, influence on other individuals. That's a very, very uh, profound evolution of, of civilization, one that we should cherish, one that we spit on in disrespect if we, if we start to believe everybody is in a fixed position based on their beliefs. Nobody's in a fixed position. Yesterday, I was critical of Mark Levin, and, and I was critical of Karl Rove, and, and um, I was critical last week of Ilhan Omar, and, and I'm always critical of, of the black bourgeoisie in this country and many of, these, many of these black celebrities and public figures like a Dwayne Wade. I've been critical of, of many people, and many people would be right to be critical of me. And it's easier to be critical of people when they're easier to see than others, and I understand all of that. And some of it is just having a little bit thicker skin, no matter who we are, no matter where we are. Have a little thicker skin. You take the criticism and bark back by all means. But it's, 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 
it's not the barking back. It's it's not the 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 the, the conflict or the contention that really has has stifled this country and and, and undermined our, our citizenship and allowed these these truly corrupt and wicked people to, to take over and run roughshod. It's not the, the conflict that, that has, has driven this. It's the lack thereof. It's the lack thereof. And I tried to explain to Jason last night, and, and I think that, that Jason understands this well, and he's, he's coming around to, to uh, the idea that we need a good throwdown. We need a good bloodletting. And let's have a bloodletting intellectually and philosophically before we actually push ourselves to the place where a, a real physical bloodletting is the only option left. And we are on our way to that place. We are on our way to a place, uh, to, a, to a moment in time where uh, an old-fashioned bloodletting is all that's left. I talked about this earlier in the week. The two nearly inevitable outcomes of a debt society. We've created a debt society. We have the choice. We have the opportunity to choose different. Let's have an equity society. And I'm not talking about social equity that comes out of the, the, the liberal leftist uh, Marxist universities and, and, and academia. I'm talking about financial equity, where you actually produce things, where, where your work and your energy yield products, goods, services, things of value. We can make that choice. But in a debt society, which we've chosen, which we've accepted, and, and many could say we've been forced into, in many ways we were forced into it, at the tip of a sword, yeah, uh, at, the, at, the tip of the, at the tip of a spear, at the edge of a sword, at the edge of a blade, at the barrel of a gun, at the end of a barrel, yes, we were forced in many ways. We were manipulated, but in many ways we chose out of convenience. In the debt society we live in, there are two nearly inevitable outcomes. One is the debt gets so big at a global level, nations become distrusting of how the debt will be settled, and ultimately they go to war. Scenario A. Scenario B is the debt gets so big at a global level, the people who hold the debt, the people who broker the debt, see the opportunity in that crisis to recreate and restructure the entire global monetary system. And there's a third scenario. The third scenario is, is, is a combination of the two, where those same brokers can run both scenarios congruently, can run both scenarios simultaneously. And that just seems to, that, that seems to be what we're living through right now because we have both scenarios. We are hurling ourselves towards World War III. We are voluntarily hurling ourselves towards World War III. And the central bank digital currency is on our doorstep. First, it was just a theory. Then you had Bitcoin, and I'm not saying I'm anti-Bitcoin or, or you know, any, any of that, crypto anything. I'm not saying I'm anti. But then you had cryptocurrency and everybody said, ah, the government could never get in on it. And now all of a sudden you have the central bank digital currency. And it really threatens to become the mark of the beast. Now, some of you may not believe in Revelation. Some of you may not believe in the Bible and scripture. But you'd be surprised just how prophetic some of the material in the Bible really is. And if there's anything that represents the mark of the beast, well, one, 
central bank digital currency would certainly, certainly seem to match. But also, the mark could be these here. So, I say that because, I, I mention that because it's not so much where people were yesterday, but it's where they're headed. And I think that's, I think that's a, I think that's an optimistic and hopeful approach and thought process for all of us, no matter where you are. It's not about where you were. It's not about where you were 10 years ago. It's not about where you were 10 minutes ago. It's about where you are now and where you're headed. Too many of us are fixated on our past mistakes, are fixated on our, our, our past uh, um, beliefs. We become fixated on it. And really, it's all pride and it's all ego, which is another profound and prophetic teaching of the Bible. Pride goeth before the fall. Ego. We get caught into in protecting uh, the, the, the image of our former selves for the people around the world. Now, you could argue that some of, some of that, I mean, there's a very real human mechanism in there that if, if there are no principles or morals or values or ethics or standards by which you live your life, if there is no you that you're loyal to, if there, there is no you in your mind that, that you are beholden to, then you are very susceptible to, to neurosis and psychosis because there's nothing chaining together your actions or your, your thoughts. Your, your, your beliefs are the, are the predicates for your thoughts and your actions. So yeah, some of us out of self-preservation, many of us out of self-preservation have the very real human trait of being being loyal or or um being um allegiant to our former selves for sanity's sake which is why we need conversations which is why we need dialogue dialogue and conversation is a way for you to bring your thinking to the public square with other people who have a different point of view a different vantage different vantage uh, on the situation and, 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 and sharpen and, and um, refine, for lack of a better term, to refine your point of view, refine the way that you think. Thus, you can refine the way that you, 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 you live. That's all, that's all well and good. And we have to find the, the proper balance between the two things. Are there value? And, and so I, I say this to, to, to say it's been so long in this country since we've had a real conversation about basic and fundamental uh, first principles, philosophy, right? Like what is, what is it that's truly important? And, and I don't mean like, you know, in this cookie cutter sort of, sort of way, like, you know, in this, in this ready-made fast food way. Right? And when we say freedom, it's like, okay, what do we mean by freedom? And there's a huge gap in, in what freedom means for these people over here and what freedom means for these people over here. And in that space in between the gap is, is the space necessary for other predatory uh, people to divide and conquer. So we need to get back to these roots. We, we need to stop assuming that when we use these 
words in our English language or in any language all over the world that that these words have uh, maintained the meaning that the, the meaning of their origins. In many cases, they have not. In many cases, they mean something completely different today. In many cases, the words that we that we remember from yesterday and the and the cultural norms associated with those words are 180 degrees different. They're in a whole nother location. Free People Radio thanks you for watching and listening tonight. And this is Professor Penn here for Ghostbed. That's ghostbed.com. So let me tell you why I love this product. Professor Penn has problems sleeping. That's right. I have problems sleeping and you might too. So there is nothing more important than getting a mattress, a mattress that helps me sleep. That's why I love ghostbed.com. Go there, go to ghostbed.com, upward slash Royce, and use promo code Royce for 50% off on the whole catalog. And when I say the whole catalog, they got a lot more than mattresses. They got sheets, they got pillows. And what makes it super cool for me personally is they got super cooling technology that helps you get through the night without sweating. That's right. There's nothing worse than waking up in a pool of my own sweat. That's why I love Ghost Bed. Their products help me sleep through the night cool and safe and calm. So go to ghostbed.com, upward slash Royce, promo code Royce for 40% off site-wide. And thank you very much for watching. Liberalism, conservatism, communism, capitalism, Christianity, Atheism, secularism, globalism, nationalism, fascism, patriotism. I mean, everybody gets a little piece. Everybody gets a little piece of the puzzle. But everybody's really scared to, or in many cases, too lazy, too inconvenienced. To dare to think at the deepest philosophical level, there is a real philosophical bankruptcy in our culture today. And it's driven, it's driven by this idea of convenience. Convenience, I said it on the podcast before, and I'll say it again, convenience will be the death of freedom. Because, the, the, because convenience will be the death of, of deep philosophical thought. And when you get right down to it, when it when it all when it all you know when it all boils down, there is no true freedom without deep philosophical understanding. And I don't mean in some esoteric, overeducated, academic way. I don't mean that type of philosophy. I mean just sacred honor. What is your sacred honor? What is your code? Is it actually a code? Have you actually thought about it? What is it based on? There are some people who have never seen a day of higher education, and they live by a code that is so profound and, and so, so intrinsic to, to, to being human that some of us who have seen higher education could really take a note or two. Hillary Clinton. The deplorables. The individual American citizen all around the country. From the working and middle class. From the low class. Codes. Codes of ethics. Codes of life. 
death before dishonor. You know, this death before dishonor is a is a code uh, is a, is a sort of code that has been uh, often associated with uh, organized crime in in, a, in our American culture. Right? Omerta, right? These ideas that there that there is an honor code that's pledged between thieves, no honor amongst thieves, but ironically, the only people who we see take this sort of honor oath are, are people involved in organized crime. But death before dishonor is such a, such a noble, noble sentiment. I mean, it sort of says there is, a, there is an honor that, that each one of us carries around. And before we dishonor ourselves, or that used to say, before you dishonor your mother or your father, before you, you dishonor your family or your nation, or before you dishonor your God, that you would accept death. This now is seen as extreme. A lot of things are seen as extreme. Like, I'll give you an example. Let's say, this, this is just a hypothetical. Because I, I was thinking about this early today, and I thought, let me share this with the, with the podcast audience and see what they think. Let's say me and my friend John are at the, uh, the local park. And me and my friend John and our other nine or ten buddies, we meet up at the park all the time, and we play sports, or, or, we, or we chase girls, or, or you know, we go up to the the local bowling alley or we go, um, you know, buy baseball cards or whatever it is from the time that you lived in. I don't know. Whatever that, whatever that immediate, you know, local little neighborhood hangout, hangout activity was. And let's say one day I come to the park and John has the brilliant idea to go rob a bank. John comes to the park this day and he says, you know what, let's go rob a bank. And nine or ten of the other people with some objection, some along the way, some people who, uh, uh, you know, wanted to, dis to discuss how the money was going to be split or, or whatever the case may be, whatever their objection was. Some, some wanted to drive in their participation. Some wanted to, to carry the gun. Some just wanted to, to be able to crack somebody over the skull, and this was the perfect opportunity. Whatever it was, all nine or ten of them come to the consensus that, that they were going to go forward with this bank robbery. Let's say I am the only one in the group, which I'm not saying would, would be the case. I'm not singling myself out or virtue signaling. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking, let's say I was the only one in the group to say, you know what, I don't want to participate. I'm going to go home. Who's the extremist in that situation? Who's the extremist in that situation? If I'm the only one out of 10 people, out of 10, 11 people who say, hey, I don't want to participate in this, this armed robbery that everybody's agreed to, who's the extremist? Now, some would say John is the extremist because John came with the idea to do something highly dangerous with, with, with very uh, uh, steep consequences. Could potentially be fatal consequences, but at the very, at the very least, in all likelihood, uh, some type of legal consequences. Some would say John's the extremist. But I would actually say in that case, I'm the extremist. The one who's willing to walk away from the consensus 
of his peers is oftentimes the most extreme person in the group. It's often the most extreme person in the community. It's often the most extreme person in the neighborhood, in the company, in the organization, in the political body. And so it's a word like extreme even. I said that to, to, to kind of demonstrate what I was talking about a, a, a bit earlier in, in, in the way that language itself has become such a, a great weapon and the gap of understanding and what one means, how, how things are even defined. Extreme. Extreme is a great example. Extreme and, and a whole host of other words have been, been kind of um, defined in, in, in the public square as being dirty or, or, or being or carrying a negative connotation. And obviously I'm, I'm referring to Matt Gates and, and this whole, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy clipping, right? Matt Gates right now by many Republicans all across the country is seen as extreme. He's a part of the extreme far, far right of the Republican Party. He's an extremist. And what, what does that even mean? What does it mean to be an extremist? First, I'd like you to go look it up. I mean, actually look up the definition. But, but what do they really mean by it? They really mean anybody who doesn't want to start from the presupposition that everything in this country more or less is, is okay. And that's really the telltale sign of the Uniparty. That's really the telltale sign of the centrist movement. And I'd call it a radical centrist movement, although I, I hesitate to use the word radical as, as, a, as, a, as a way to describe it because radical itself is another word that comes baked with all of this connotation. But this centrist movement is very radical in that the, the desire to preserve the corrupt sinner has never been more, more extreme. The willingness, the, the, the desire to preserve a, a, a corrupt and broken status quo has never been more extreme. They are the extremists. And yes, we who oppose them are also the extremists. But what I reject is this notion that I'm an extremist and and all of them are just are just so normal. You know, they're 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 so regular. You know, they're, they're so logical and sane. There is nothing in in fact, and this is sort of cliche to, to this is sort of cliche to, to mention, but I mean one of the commonly accepted phrases in, in American culture and in Western culture is this this idea that to try the same thing over and over again and get the same result and expect a different outcome is, is insanity. That's exactly what the corrupt, centrist, status quo preserving people in this country are doing. They are continuing with the exact same strategy, with the exact same action, with the exact same agenda, while saying, they want a different outcome and failing every time. 
And what they want you to believe, they want you to believe that the advancements in science, oh, the ability to, to, to teleport, you know, pretty soon you'll be able to teleport. We'll have hover cars, you know, they've, they've already, they've already okayed the, the, the production or the, the, at, at least the, uh, the testing of, of hover cars, right? Little tiny cars you can get and fly around like the Jetsons. That the hover cars are are a symbol, are, are evidence that everything is getting better. It's it's not we're not failing. Well, knowledge, knowledge, information without wisdom is a danger. History shows us that. History is littered with with people who knew something, who who had a little bit of information that was that was valuable, and without the proper wisdom, it ended up killing them. And maybe them dying led to some some greater advancement, some other advancement. We won't really qualify it as being greater or lesser, but but some other advancement that 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 helped move the status quo forward. And the prevailing status quo in our society, the prevailing status quo is that scientific advancement is a net positive. And it is the most dangerous status quo in human civilization. That the unfettered, unlimited advancement of science is a net positive. Dangerous, dangerous idea. Dangerous, dangerous idea. Am I the extremist for saying we may want to think about what it would look like to allow private companies to make human beings in a laboratory? I mean, we may want to, we may want to refer back to history before we, before we walk down that path. And Matt Gates is saying, we may want to think about what it would mean if we go another $3 trillion in debt, or, or let's say, $20 trillion more dollars in debt whenever that day would, would come. We may want to think about what that, what that would really mean, what that would look like. Are we extremists? Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with being an extremist. There is nothing wrong with having an extreme approach to the way you think especially in a time where many, many, whether they be Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative, Christian, uh, atheist, uh, whatever the case may be, many people would, gre- would agree that the status quo isn't working. If you're out there right now and you're listening to this podcast, ask yourself the question, does the status quo work for you? Is it working for you? Is this, you know, is your life good? And see, I, I, I kind of walk into, a, into a, a sort of intellectual and linguistic trap when I, when, I pose the, the, when I pose it that way. Because a legitimate argument back, and right now I'm just teaching, I'm trying to illustrate the, the, the process of critical thought. And you should always be able to argue your own point in the way that you think to, to A, be able to sharpen uh, where you stand on a given issue, but also be able to find the holes in your, in your logic. 
And so when I say you should all ask yourself, is your life good? As a Christian man and as a man who often warns against, against the threat of radical materialism, the, the, the default answer from everybody that we should, we should probably lean, lean on, lean toward is, yeah, life is good because life itself is a blessing and a miracle. And we don't want to start to measure our life based on material things. But then there's an entirely different side of the coin. And that side of the coin is this. If we've all agreed, if we've all signed a social contract to live in a radical materialist world, then I would say it is, it, it is proper for you to measure your life in some, in some, uh, in some ways by the things that you have. And are we adult, are we mature enough to know where that gets out of hand? I think we are. I mean, it gets to a point where a conversation is, is, so, is so rotted, where the, 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 political, uh, the, the philosophical bankruptcy in a culture is so profound that we all sort of get the, the, the feeling that we need to talk in the most basic terms for anybody to get anything done or for anybody to have any understanding. And I reject that. I reject that. And I'm willing to sacrifice growing an audience uh, steady and slow and steady if, if it means that the, the people who are involved in, in this dialogue, in this conversation, embrace, embrace the, 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 the true meaning of critical thought. Not to be some pseudo-intellectual, not to be the smartest person at the cocktail party. Fuck all that. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, there are real real issues. There are real problems that need committed minds to solve them. And, and nobody will be able to do it if you, if you have some cookie cutter drive through, uh, sort of a political or philosophical thought process. And so are we all mature enough to know the difference between being grateful, waking up in the morning and having that baseline gratitude that you woke up, that God has, has, has seen it, seen it uh, a good thing that you live another day, that you're able to draw a breath, that you have health, a, a certain level of health. I mean, we're all moving slowly towards our demise, some of us faster than others, some of us more painful than others. But we're all going to die one day. It's a miracle that you woke up. Some people didn't wake up. Everywhere in the world, somebody's dying. And that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a scary pill to swallow. But it's real. If you woke up today, it's a miracle. So that, that baseline, that, that foundation, that starting point of gratitude is valuable, is necessary. But are we mature enough to say in the, in the, in the, material, in the material society that we've created that there are some basic things that people should have that they just don't have and that them not having it is very intentional that that them not having it were is a consequence of of choices made at a at a systemic level i'm not making a case for reparations i'm not making a case for welfare or universal basic income i think those things would be abhorrent but there is something very wrong with the system I mean, and I've spoken on reparations before, and I think there's a way that you could get the deal done that actually helps the nation be a nation again. 
you could you could call it reparations, you could call it what you want, but the bottom line is we have a, we have the option, we have the choice of a debt society or an equity society. Many people are willing to accept a debt society and become debt slaves in the interest of of maintaining whatever cultural or racial, political, spiritual animus they may hold against other specific groups of citizens in in the country. And they're willing to watch the country burn to hold that that animus, to retain that animus. And there's nothing honorable about that. So you can call it what you want. What I'm saying is, if for nothing else, if for nothing else, you need to you need to take a an accounting of the material, the material circumstance of your life. Ask yourself, for example, why is it that you're paying $700 more on average, $700 more than you were for the same goods and services that you were buying last year? I mean, yes, we want to be grateful. We want to be grateful to God for sure. This whole grateful demand thing is another another deal entirely. We want to be grateful, yes. That would that that that's all good. Let's be grateful. But that doesn't mean you let people screw you over. And it definitely doesn't mean that you let people take advantage of you. We're grateful to God. But we're watchful of man. You can't be so grateful to God. You can't have so much faith in God. You can't that you don't that you that you're not aware of your surroundings, that you don't pay attention. The matters of blind faith in God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. That is a that is a that is a scripture about spiritual. Spiritual providence. Spiritual providence. And in many ways, it's a, it's a very deep and profound um, scripture about one's own image of themselves in their life. Because right? what it's really saying, many, many people look at it and, you know, you got all of these all of these wealth experts that, that, you know, that have popped up online and you see them telling you that, you know, if you start investing into rentals, which I'm not saying rentals, real estate investment isn't a good business, but, you know, if you start investing in these things, you have this sort of financial independence, then, then all of your problems are solved for the most part. And then you can start to focus on other things. And, and, and some of that, some of that is true. No doubt. But at the same time, you could look at a lot of people who are very, very wealthy and very rich, and they couldn't find, they couldn't find a, a moral compass if you smacked them right across the forehead with it. In fact, you see the complexity of becoming rich is actually much, much closer to uh, there is a there is a preponderance of of people who are uber wealthy who have way more problems with morality and ethics than your than your average citizen does. Give or take, I don't know. But the Bible tells us it's easier 
for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than, the, than a rich man to get into heaven. And again, remember, historically speaking, the eye of a needle was the, the entrance point in a town or, or castle or a village, some, some type of uh, city structure, some type of structure, the eye of a needle, right? And so it's not, it's not the eye of a, of, a, of a needle that you use to sew, right? Some people get that mistaken. It's kind of, kind of funny understandable, but it's kind of funny because people think oh, it's impossible to get into heaven if you're rich. <laughs> you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. No, you can fit a camel through the eye of a needle, but it's it's tough depending on traffic times during, during those days and, you know, how many people were moving through that 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 entrance at, at a given time during the day. It could be tough to get a big-ass camel through that, you know, through that entrance. You got a bunch of camels. It could be tough to get a camel through that entrance, right? Um, but but it's a profound scripture and it's a profound uh, piece of advice about how being wealthy complicates morality and ethics. How money complicates morality and ethics. And so you have a bunch of people who now are popping up online and saying, hey, if you get rich, you know, it'll solve your issues. It'll, it'll, it'll solve your issues and blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah. Financial independence is great, no doubt about that. But there's something else going on here. There's something else going on in our country, and there's something else going on in our in, in our in our society. And the reason I bring it up is because people, people, can people can get rid of their radical materialism. Only to a certain extent. Only to a certain extent. Everybody has to, everybody has to try and live. Everybody has to survive. And that's why when they say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. These, these financial wealth vultures, uh, these financial wealth prophets, so to speak, false prophets, money gods, Money profits. Their their whole deal is something like even from a from a Christian sense. And there are some Christian money profits as well. You'll you'll be interested to, to, to find those out there. And I'm not saying Christians shouldn't do business, but but work with me. That if you seek God first, then he'll add all the things you want as a reward. Sorry if that took me a while to get to, but I'm trying to, you know, some people told me in the, in the comments, oh, well, you take too long to get to the point. Oh, fuck off. Fuck off. We're having a conversation here. It takes as long as it needs to take. It's patience. Patience is a virtue that's sorely missed in our society. Everybody wants things faster. I like to take my time with things. Many people interpret, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you, Matthew 6, 3, 3, as if you seek God, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then God will, will reward you by adding anything that you want. Some would even say adding anything that you need, and 
And that distinction is an important distinction between the things that you want and the things that you need being added unto you by the one true living God. God is much more likely to add to you the things that you need versus the things that you want. And sometimes the thing that you need may not be the thing that you like. But it still may be the thing that you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And then it actually speaks about the, 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 the nature of, of what it means to be healthy or, or to be rich or to be strong or to any number of words that, that, that have this, this common sort of connotation to them. But, but, but if you pull back far enough and, and ask, you know, what is strength? Is strength the ability to be able to lift 300 pounds or strength the, the ability to be able to endure criticism from the consensus of people who are corrupt? Is rich, is rich being having a lot of money? Is rich being able to go to the bank and, and, and take out money uh, you know, for whatever you want, to be able to get on a private jet and fly to wherever you want and have, and have little you know, uh, circle jerks with your friends? Is that being rich? Or is rich being rich in spirit? Thank you so much for tuning in tonight and watching this broadcast. This is Professor Penn bringing you an advertising interlude we're promoting MyBookie.com. MyBookie.com is part of the Patriot economy, and nothing is more important than you supporting the Patriot economy. That's those businesses and business people that are supporting the freedom movement. That's what we're doing here, spreading freedom from coast to coast and from north to south. Now, next time you go to a game or next time you watch a game, go to MyBookie.com and use promo code Royce and lay down a bet. Bring a little more juice to the action. Bring a little more fun, a little spring in your step. Promo code Royce. That's mybookie.com, supporting the Patriot economy, supporting all the people and all the businesses that are supporting this freedom movement. We love it. You'll love it. I love it. I've done it. I've had a great time doing it. This is Professor Penn coming to you once again for mybookie.com, promo code Royce. There'll be a little something special for you if you do it, and thank you very much. What does it mean to be healthy? What does it mean to be healthy? Does healthy mean your blood pressure is low? Does healthy mean you're you're getting your steps in on your Fitbit every day? Does healthy mean that you're that you're that you're eating vegan, unprocessed food? And yeah, sure, those things are all good too. But what about the health of your mind? So I'm just I'm just trying to show how. The, the language we've used, the language we've used has, has such, a, such a huge impact on the way that we think and consequently the way that we act, subsequently the way that we act. So a lot of people will say uh, on the podcast when I'm on Jason or, you know, I'm on Alex Jones or I'm on War Room or whatever the case may be, and they'll go, you know, uh, you use too many big words or, you, you know, you're, you're trying to sound smart. It's, no, no, I'm using the language the way it, it, it needs to be used, the way it's intended to be used. 
It's intended to be used to, to continue to refine ideas in a way that can help you live a life that reflects your deepest, most clarified will and, and desires. And all of you could do it too. And it would be, it would be beautiful to have a culture where, where American citizens returned to this sort of, this, this, this place of, of philosophical, cultural, political, spiritual confidence. I mean, I just read our founding documents and I think to myself, the, the, the level of confidence that those men had in themselves is, is profound from the start. I mean, you can just read the documents. You can read the way they wrote. You can read how they, how they wrote those documents and you can, you, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can sense their, their self-confidence. And it's not, I, I don't mean the self-confidence to start a new nation. I don't mean the self-confidence to, to take slaves. I don't mean the self-confidence to revolt against the British army. I don't mean the self-confidence to, to, uh, the confidence to live on the land as an, as an agrarian nation of shopkeepers. I don't mean the confidence in that way. I mean, I mean the confidence to dare to think different. And that kind of gets lost as a sort of casual strength, a, a casual measure of health, a casual uh, sign of, of being rich, daring to think different but there's nothing casual about it. Some of the people who, who run things in this country, they, they find that casual. They see that as a casual thing for people to think different. And they've weaponized and hijacked thinking different as a, as a sort of cultural political theater to, to throw people off the scent and distract people and, and, and mislead people even more than they were before. That's what woke is. Woke is a theater of thinking different when really they all think in lockstep over here. And that's why that's why what what Matt Gates did was was profound on a level deeper than I think even he really understands or, or maybe maybe he does understand. It wouldn't shock me if he does understand. But but something that I haven't heard him mention. Everybody wants to not everybody, some people, many people, many people on both sides of the aisle want to vilify Matt Gates for being involved in a, a motion to vacate that, that saw a bunch of Democrats vote uh, with him to, to, to vacate. But isn't it a good thing that the conservative movement, that the Republican members of the House have some, some dissent, some dissent of thought, that we're not an echo chamber, that we're not a, 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 a movement of, of ideologues or, or hive-minded lockstep uh, drones. Isn't that a good thing? Isn't it a good thing? It, it, at the same time, you could say that he kind of proved how the Democrats think and their political and, and their political mindset. They all did vote in lockstep to get rid of McCarthy. 
Now, in this instance, in this specific case, it was beneficial to the country, in my opinion, to get McCarthy out of there and somebody else who's more interested in serving the, the American people. But that's not really the point. Because this is just one instance. This is, this is temporary. This too shall pass. This moment in American politics shall pass. Significant, no doubt, but it shall pass. And there will be many moments that, that, that come after. If we're blessed enough. For some of us. Some others, not so much. But the point is, there's a much bigger picture here. And the bigger picture is, the conservative movement has shown itself to be the one movement where there is some type of contention of thought of what to do. There is not an ideological lockstep movement on this side of the aisle. We are not in lockstep, and it's not because we don't, it's not, it's not as MSNBC would like to portray it. MSNBC would like to portray the difference of opinion on this side of the aisle as some symbol of chaos and, and lack of organization. No, we are very organized in the way that we think. We are very organized in the, in the disagreement that we have. We, we being the Freedom Caucus there or the America First Patriots who said McCarthy has to go, are very organized in the way that they think about the world. You can see that by the way Matt Gates explained his, his plan and his vision and his stance on his, his membership as a House representative and, and as a servant, a public servant of the American people. He is very organized in his thinking. He is very organized in the way that he went about uh, bringing this motion to vacate and auditing the promises of, of Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And he's very organized in understanding the ramifications. And he's very organized in the plan going forward. Let's give Jim Jordan a shot. Let's give Scalise a shot. Which one? We don't know yet. Let's hear him. Let's hear him out. Let's give somebody else a shot because we're in dire straits as a country. That is very organized. And therein lies another word that people would get mixed up or, or conflate. Organization. What are the moral and ethical implications of organ, being organized? Yes, you can all get together like the 10 friends at the park in my hypothetical uh, uh, scenario. You could get together and be organized and go rob a bank. And unironically in this podcast, because we're speaking about Matt Gates in you know, sort of a roundabout way, we are talking about people getting together and going to rob a fucking bank. Aren't we? You can get together, get organized, and go rob a fucking bank. That doesn't make it right. Just because you're organized in your thought doesn't make it right. The Nazis were organized. The communists were organized. The communists are organized. It doesn't make it right. So organization does, you know, organization is, is one thing. But then there are, but then there is the higher calling of, of human beings with with divine, with the divine touch of God, you know, that, that are, um, you could say, ordained 
to not only organize, but organize in a way that's righteous. Organize in a way that's moral. Organize in a way that's ethical. Organize in a way that's truthful. And so, although we may be disorganized right now on this side of the political aisle, which is in most regards a farce anyway, the entire American political dichotomy is being revealed for the real scam that it truly is. Uniparty, uniparty, uniparty. But let's just take the premise that there are two sides of the American political aisle. On this side of the aisle, we may be demonstrating some some discord and some disorganization, but it's a disorganization in the pursuit of a more righteous position, in the pursuit of a more righteous organization. And that goes back to what I said earlier. It's not about where you were, where you are. It's about where you're headed. And so when I look at people who have always been Democrats and I go and I look at their history, I go look at where they were 10 years ago, what they were a part of. I'm completely fine letting Democrats come and vote to get corruption out of Washington, D.C., to let Democrats come join a grassroots movement to change this country for the better, to let Democrats come join a a grassroots community-based movement to make the country more prosperous, healthy, and have better well-being. I'm completely fine letting the Democrats come join and anybody else come join as long as their sails are pointed in the same direction. In a direction towards righteousness, towards prosperity and well-being for the American people. Where are you headed? Not where were you or where are you? Where are you headed? And we see all across the country. Well, not all across the country. It's not happening in mass yet. In communities it is. But, but in, in politics, it's not. But, but in little pockets, there are sparks of, of change. People are actually Democrats, and they're saying, oh, I'm out. I'm going Republican. And I think you're going to see the great RFK Jr. go independent. At least from a political spectrum standpoint, he's headed in the right direction. No pun intended. Where are you headed? Not where are you or where have you been? Where are you headed? This is the classification that matters. This is the way to, to, to assess the people that, that stand up at the podium now. Donald Trump's another one. Donald Trump, they all, want, they all want us to get caught up in Donald Trump's past. They all want us to get caught up in Donald Trump's personal flaws. They all want us to get caught up in, in Donald Trump's business failings or his or his legal matters or whatever the fuck else they all want us to be caught up in all of that bullshit but when i look at donald trump i look for where is he headed not where has he been and where is he now where is he headed and is where he is where he's headed does where he's headed have the chance to be a positive a positive influence on American citizenship, because that's what a president is is charged to do. He is the commander in chief. He is the leader of the nation. He is charged with the overall prosperity and well-being of the American people. It's not about where you were. 
It's not about where you are. It's about where you're going. And so there are some people on our side of the, the aisle. There are some people within the wire, as they like to say. We have people within the wire that are, that are headed in the opposite direction. And it's not a fixed position, right? It's, it's, it, you know, it's not predestined that they're going to go in that direction. They have a choice. Free will is the ultimate expression of God's love. Free will is the ultimate expression of God's love and the ability to choose him. Nobody's in a fixed position. Nobody who I criticize, don't get your panties in a fucking bunch. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't even realize that Mark Levin was part owner of the Blaze and, and, and you know, was the head honcho over there at Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I saw him go after Matt Gates publicly, so I said what the fuck I said, and I mean what the fuck I said. I said what I said, and I mean what the fuck I said. Because in general, I just say what I mean, and I mean what I say. And if Mark Levin wants to sit down and have a discussion in, in a public forum, I would, I would be more than happy to do that. Anytime, any place, Mark. Anytime, any place. Or anybody else over there on, on that, on, of that elk, of that, of that thinking. And see, this is the ideological throwdown that many of you don't understand, that many people don't see. See, there's, a, there's the world of politics that you're shown, and then there's the world of politics as it really exists. And in that world where the, the politics are really done, there was a whole generation of, of these guys who were neoconservatives, you know, who were, were neocons. That's, that's the real divide. That's why we're having the argument or the dispute in the Republican Party, and, and we appear to be disorganized because we're sorting out what are the ideological premises, what are the ideological foundations for our way forward. And there are many great things to consider, and there are many great things to discuss. And I'm not saying there's something that I don't see. I'm not all-knowing. I have my opinion, I have my convictions, and I'm willing to bring those to the table with a Mark Levin and anybody else to, to discuss those. What are, what are the most important things? What is the way forward? You know, see, when I, and, and so when I see Matt Gates, when I see Matt Gates reference the spending, I say to myself, well, there's a lot of things we spend money on. I mean, you know, we spend money on all kinds of things, right? You know, you got education and you got uh, Medicare, you got Social Security, right? You got you got the military. The military is two trillion dollars. Medicare, Medicaid is two trillion dollars. Education's in there. Education that the United States government, I think, spends around seven hundred billion dollars, maybe five hundred billion dollars a year on education. Most a lot of it goes to public universities. We're spending five hundred thousand. We're spending five hundred billion dollars a year on on edu on on college university and they've become a bastion of communist and marxist ideology and we paid for it we paid for the universities to become marxist and bastions of marxism and and, and communism and i know mark levin wouldn't wouldn't argue with that we would we would be in agreement on on that most likely at least i think so from the little research I've done on them. But there was an entire generation of people who, who kind of um, 
they kind of believed in a, in a similar uh, approach to foreign policy and, and, and America's path to global domination, world domination, which they fenced as security. And, you know, there were people back in the day, you know, who said, hey, uh, our, our interests, wherever our interests are, wherever our national interest is, we will come and we will fight and we will kill and we will steal and we will lie and we will cheat and we will do anything we need to do in order to preserve the status quo of an America-dominant hegemony. And I'm not saying that an American-dominated hegemony is bad for the world. But whatever hegemony dominates the world needs to be one that is overflowing with moral fortitude and, and, and ethics and, 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 most of all, righteousness. I mean, if there's going to be a global hegemony and America's going to be it, we better make sure our house is in order. It was not proper. It was, it was not proper. It was not efficacious, quite clearly and evidently by where we are now. It was not efficacious to march around the globe by any and all means to maintain a, a, a global hegemony. That was not right. It wasn't right. It's not for ourselves to whip ourselves now in the public square in some type of you know, self-loathing, uh, you know, masochistic kind of political theater. That's what the woke liberals want to do. And that is the difference between the woke liberals and the woke neocon. That is the difference between the woke left and the neocon neoliberal factions of New World Order. The woke left has this kind of weird, perverse, and uh, erotic desire to whip themselves in the public for everybody to see and, and, and kind of you know, get in on this, this empathy kumbaya. The neocons and the neoliberals, they're unabashed about who they are. They don't give a fuck about how it looks. And they're proven they don't care how it looks. And this is where myself and Matt Gates and Steve Bannon and Donald Trump and many others who they call extreme have real, real ideological uh, differences uh, with, with, with a lot of these people. And I'll give you an example. Amy Klobuchar. She's another great example. She's another perfect example. I'm running against her for the United States Senate here in Minnesota. Um, but, but she is a perfect example of the neocon, neoliberal world order. And so when I see Matt Gates talk about the budget, you'd have to be a fucking moron. And that's part of the reason why I got upset, because Mark Levin called Matt Gates a moron in public for what took place with McCarthy. And I, for the life of me, could not possibly imagine how anybody would call Matt Gates a moron, much less a moron for what took place with McCarthy. He called him a moron, but you would have to be a fucking moron not to, not to have, uh, not to be involved. You'd have to be a fucking moron to be involved in a conversation about the national debt or the national budget and not see the direct correlation to the war there in Ukraine. Especially when United States senators, sitting United States senators like Amy Klobuchar are openly promoting an indefinite support, long-term support for the military effort there in the Ukraine. Long-term support. We have to defeat the, the, the Russians. I mean, let's just think about it. <laughs> I mean, let's cut out all of the, the higher education, uh, you know, uh, higher learning, 
uh, academic credentials and, and dissertations and or whatever the fuck else. Let's cut all that bullshit out. Let's just talk about it from a, a, a more layman's point of view. If you're a military industrial complex, if you have a military industrial complex political perspective or point of view, and you like to go to the globe and spin the fucking globe and, 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 and close your eyes and stop at a point in the globe randomly and decide, let's assess if there are any natural resources or any national interests that we would be served by going and getting ourselves involved in that part of the world. If you're of that kind of mindset and you wake up one morning and you spin the globe and you close your eyes and you randomly stop on Russia, you think you would at least maybe spin the fucking globe again? Or does your arrogance and pride and ego and, and sense of, of, of uh, sense of political and intellectual superiority tell you to go forward anyway? Fuck it. I mean, out of everybody you could go to war with, out of everybody you could go to war with, why would you go to war with the one country that has more nuclear weapons than we do? I mean, I start to ask myself, just from a logical basis, what, what strategic advantage is there for, the Amer for, for American citizens or for America? What, what national interest is served in the Ukraine on Russia's border in the, further, the, furthest, east, the furthest east place of Europe? What interest is served to the American people by spending money we don't have to protect to protect the Ukrainians or or, in, or or any of the Eastern European people from Russia? What interest does it serve? And some people will say, oh, well, it's not about interest. This is about democracy and freedom. But smarter minds know that our military efforts around the world have never really been so much about democracy and freedom, have they? In fact, it was our democratic opponents who Mark Levin and many of his other neocon, neocon, neocon uh, conservatives, uh, rhinos, which I call them, they're rhinos, but hey, you can debate that if he wants. Many other of that neoconservative elk they are upset that that the Democrats were were involved in, in in voting out McCarthy. Yet on any given day, they would they would be very critical uh, of of Democrat contradiction, as they should be. And it was the Democrats who were formerly very critical of America's military behavior on the world stage, at least they were in public, but, but really therein lies a lot of the bullshit. Barack Obama ran as what? An anti-war Democrat. Got in office, dropped more bombs on brown and black people in the Middle East than any of his white predecessors combined. I mean, this is the level of deception that's taken place with the public conversation about politics and geopolitics. Mark, feel free to come on the show. I would love to have Mark on. It's probably too big time for me to have on. I mean, 
I'm, I'm, I'm out there. I'm out there and around. People are starting to know who I am. I'm 32. I got time still. And the mainstream media. I mean, <laughs> let's put it this way. If they, if they let you write op-eds in the Wall Street Journal, you're probably fucking in on it. Carl, Carl Rove, Carl Rove wrote an op-ed the day after Speaker McCarthy got the axe. What does that tell you about who Carl Rove is? I mean, at the very moment in American history, when the entire mainstream media industrial complex has this sort of coalesced, coalesced viewpoint, coalesced rhetoric about America firsters, about Trump supporters, about far right-wing Christo-nationalist domestic terrorists, which all of us are, myself included, I guess. At a time where, where the entire lib, liberal mainstream media industrial complex is coalesced around an idea like that, how does a Carl Rove get to re, write an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal? Do you think they would ever let Steve Bannon write an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal? Do you think they would ever let Steve Bannon write an op-ed in the New York Times? I mean, we're getting to the point where we really have to ask these kind of questions. Not to make definitive judgments. I have no definitive judgments about Mark Levin. He's not in a fixed position. He, like everybody else, has been given the greatest, the greatest symbol of love that one can be given, free will and the ability to choose, to choose God, to choose righteousness, to choose the truth. He can choose. He can choose just like everybody else, just like I've been given that choice to choose. I've been given that 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 uh that ability to choose. But we do have to make that choice. And we should be and we should be held accountable for our choices. And we will be held accountable for our choices in this life or the next. And part of that accountability is when is when I look out at the entire mainstream media industrial complex and I see how they want to target. I see the FBI wants to target Trump supporters. I see a weaponized DOJ. I see a Letitia James go out on a podium of some weird Democrat sycophant sort of stage play and, and talk about holding the president of the United States accountable because it doesn't matter how much money you have or how much power you have. The, the law is equal to everybody. When I see that kind of thing take place, and then I see a Carl Rove be allowed to write an op-ed. And the op-ed goes after the one guy that says the budget is out of control and you, you DC elites and this lobbying and special interest has become a drain, a parasite on the American people and American citizenship. When I see that kind of thing happen, I have enough, I have enough self-respect and self-confidence to start to make some judgments. Temporary though they may be. Judgments. I start to get the courage to, 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 to speak in a way that will hold people accountable. I'm not going to go with the herd. I'm not going to go with the status quo. I'm not afraid of these people. I'm not afraid for these people not to like me. I'm not afraid for these people to be upset with me or for me not to be in the club. 
I don't want to be in the club. Their club stinks to me. They, they were never cool. They weren't cool when they were popular. They weren't cool when they were in their prime. And they're certainly not cool now. And I don't say that loosely or, or in, in, in some sort of immature uh, high school kind of way. I just mean, you know, if it was Sinatra, hey, damn, Sinatra didn't think I was a cool guy. That stings. Sinatra's a cool motherfucker. He was a cool, badass dude. Damn, Miles Davis. Miles Davis doesn't think I'm cool. Damn. Damn, maybe I got to take a look in the mirror. Carl Rove doesn't think I'm cool. Carl Rove doesn't like me. Probably a positive. Probably a good thing. The Bushes don't like me. Probably a good thing. And see, this is the one, this is the one crazy thing. I, I can't believe that black people, I always go back to talk about my own community because uh, American governance and thus self-governance should be more community-based. Should be more local. Government should be more local. I don't know how the black community allows the liberal mainstream media industrial complex to convince them that all Republicans are the same or that somehow the one group of Republicans that don't want black people to abort more of their children who are actually pro-black people being born, being born, uh, and, and, and want black people to have more jobs and less competition with, with immigrants from all over the world are the extreme Republicans who are racist and, and want to kill them. I don't, I don't understand that. And, you know, while I sit here and say I don't understand that, actually it, it's becoming very clear that on average a massive amount of black people are starting to wake up to this scheme, uh, to this scam, and, and are walking away from the Democrat platform, from the Democrat plantation. The question is, who's going to help them control the narrative? Who's going to help them maintain the status quo? Who's going to help them paint myself and Matt Gates and many others as extremists? Who is on the take? Carl Rove used to write a piece, uh, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. They don't let real patriots write in the Wall Street Journal anymore. They don't let real patriots write op-eds for the mainstream media industrial complex anymore. The people who they won't let write, those are the people you need to go read. The people they don't let talk, those are the people you need to go listen to. The people, you, the people they don't let represent themselves, those are the people you need to go find out more about. And that doesn't mean those people are always going to be right. But I guarantee you what it means, what it means is they're not in on it. And where we need to go right now to find our leadership is amongst the people who are clearly not in on it. And those lines will become more and more clear in the days, the weeks, and the years to come. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy. Brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You all have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement. Help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, 
Royce White here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you again for tuning in. We appreciate your viewership and your listenership today and in the future. Please, please visit freepeopleradio.com and find out where you can watch and listen to the podcast. Like, share, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. Tell us it was awful, whatever you want to do. And if you can, our patron platform should be up in the next couple of days. For right now, our Patreon is live. You can go and to, you know, donate some money uh, if you want to contribute to the podcast. We just want to get to breaking even. We want to cover the cost. We're not trying to make money here. We just want to cover the cost of, to, to be able to have this conversation and to be able to give you more conversations just like it. That's it for me. I'll see you on Monday. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed.